Good morning, everyone. This is Michael Skoll, president of the Venezuelan American Association of the US. Today's program on temporary protective legal status for Venezuelan migrants in Colombia is hosted by the Colombian American Association, the Venezuelan American Association of the US, and the Wilson Center's Latin American program. We are all pleased to be able to highlight an extraordinary effort on the part of Colombia, an act of enlightened goodwill which has received too little attention in the US, just as the Venezuelan migrant crisis itself is not well enough known in our country. I would like to welcome all of you to this meeting with Adriana Mejia Hernandez, Vice Minister of Multilateral Affairs of Colombia, a distinguished panel of experts and our moderator, Cynthia Arnson of the Wilson Center, who in turn will introduce the panelists. Heartfelt thanks to all of you for taking the time to be with us. And special thanks to Ambassador Guillermo Fernandez de Soto, Colombia's ambassador to the United Nations, and by the way, a friend and colleague from a previous century. I am pleased to introduce our moderator, Cynthia Arnson, director of the Latin American program at the Wilson Center and a good friend of our associations. She is a widely recognized expert on Latin American politics, political economy, and international relations, including US policy in the Western hemisphere. She is quoted frequently in major US and Latin American media and has testified on numerous occasions before committees of the US Congress. Dr. Arnson is editor of Comparative Peace Processes in Latin America, In the Wake of War, Democratization and Internal Armed Conflict in Latin America, co-editor of Latin American Populism in the 21st Century, and author of Crossroads, Congress, the President and Central America, 1976 to 1993, among other publications. She is a member of the Editorial Advisory Board of Foreign Affairs Latino America, the Spanish language edition of the Distinguished Journal Foreign Affairs. She is also a member of the Advisory Board of Human Rights Watch Americas. Now, I am pleased to introduce Adriana Mejia Hernandez, Vice Minister of Multilateral Affairs of Colombia. Ms. Mejia has also served as Vice Minister of Culture, Director of Public Security of the Organization of American States, Executive President of the Colombian Book Chamber, Director of the Institute of Culture and Tourism of the Mayor's Office of Bogota, and Director of Citizen Participation of the Bogota Com Comptroller's Office. Ms. Mejia has also been a consultant for the Presidential Human Rights Program and the Office of the High Commissioner for Peace, she was part of the Advisory Commission of the Government of Colombia for Drug Policy Reform and served on the Advisory Board of the Global Drug Policy of the Open Society Foundations. From 2015 to August 2018, Ms. Mejia served as Executive Director of the Institute of Political Science Hernán Echevarria Olosaca. Ms. Mejia holds a degree in Finance and International Relations from the Externado de Colombia University. Now, let me turn the meeting over to Vice Minister Mejia. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to, to, to be here and it's a great opportunity to share some thoughts with, with all of you. On behalf of the government of Colombia, I would like to thank uh, the Colombia American Association and the 
Venezuela American Association, as well as the Wilson Center for hosting this important meeting that will make some relevant reflections on one of the most important uh, contemporary topics, migration and its effects and challenges. The sudden arrival of eight million migrants in international territories since 2015 has required a rapid response as it was exceeding all state capacities. Since then, the Colombian government has built robust and comprehensive tools to address this phenomena in close coordination with donors and international agencies. Bearing this in mind, I would like to touch upon two main ideas. First, the magnitude of the crisis that is present in Venezuela is unprecedented in the Western Hemisphere. As a country committed to democracy and the protection of human rights, we cannot ignore the devastation that the Chavez and Maduro regimes have inflicted on the Venezuelan people and can only call to those who share our values to seek a structural solution to this regional and global challenge. Second, I would like to highlight the approach that Colombia has adopted to address the migration coming from Venezuela. We see migration as an opportunity. Most Venezuelan migrants are young and eager to work, providing them with the necessary conditions to have access to health, education, and social services, as well as employment and entrepreneurship opportunities will propel our economic and social progress. The implementation of the recently adopted temporary protection statute for Venezuelan migrants speaks for that. Through this public policy tool, we will offer protection to more than 800,000 irregular migrants and we will allow them to work in Colombian territory and guarantee their access to public goods and services and all our institutional offer. Also, they will be provided with an identification um, document that will open doors to the labor market that will boost the local economies and the host communities. However, more financial resources are needed to address uh, the implementation of this TPS, especially in terms of technology and human resources. The Colombian government, who has always been committed to multilateralism, works with the international cooperation through the framework of the Interagency Group for Mixed Migratory Flows and the Regional Response Plans for Migrants. Mr. can play a key role in gathering efforts to fully implement the TPS and contribute to the transformation of migration from a social phenomenon to a development opportunity. With this, I am very happy to, to be joining you in this discussion and look forward to the exchange. Thank you very much, Vice Minister Mejia. Thank you, Ambassador Skoll, um, for those remarks. Um, a, Vice Minister, if it's possible, we would love to have a written copy um, of your statement that we can add to the website, if that would be possible. I think that that would be uh, very helpful to people. I'm now pleased to introduce uh, the members of our panel. Um, first, Lucas Gomez, who is the advisor um, to the president of Colombia for the Colombian-Venezuelan border. We are also joined by Dominica Arseniuk, who is the country director for Colombia, Ecuador, and Panama of the Norwegian Refugee Council, and also Elizabeth Eister, who is the deputy representative for Colombia of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Um, as Ambassador Skoll has pointed out, 
President Ivan Duque announced in February that the government would provide temporary legal status to 1.7 million uh, Venezuelan migrants in Colombia. Um, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, Filippo Grande, called this move historic and also said that it was one of the most hum important humanitarian gestures um, in the region in decades. So in that spirit, um, let's begin with Lucas Gomez um, to try to bring down to earth what this announcement will mean in practice. So uh, Mr. Gomez, if you could give us an idea about how the government is actually going about um, implementing uh, this process of, of TPS and what do you see as the main challenges? Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you very much. First, let, let me just uh, say thank you to the Colombian American Association and Venezuela American Association and the Wilson Center for this invitation. I'm delighted to share this panel with Elizabeth and Dominica. And let me just start to, to, to focus on these challenges because uh, for the Colombian government, this is, this is a, a one, maybe one of the main challenges that we, 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 we take in, in, in the last uh, years. And, 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 and let me just uh, see that, 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 that we see these challenges uh, to the integration process of migrants in Colombia from two pronged perspectives. Uh, the first one is the, they are social challenges that we have uh, uh, to do see this integration of the, of the migrants in our social services like education, health and social security, housing, family welfare, financial inclusion, among others. Uh, we need to work to provide equality education and healthcare services for, to the migrants and the host communities. This is one of the main uh, uh, challenges that we have is not only have programs specific for migrants, but also for these host communities to, uh, 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 for these host communities. And here is the key to show the work that we do for host communities is what, uh, if we want to reduce the levels of, the levels of discrimination, xenophobia that we are currently seeing, uh, uh, not only in Colombia, but around the world. Many citizens think that the government is solely focused on the migrants, when the reality is that we work to integrate migrants uh, in uh, all the society. And also the economic integration challenges have been identified. We need to regularize migrants, and that's why the TPS is, is the main uh, uh, measure that we take, and create this a secure legal framework to, so, so that companies feel comfortable, for example, to hire migrants workers. And we also need to support inter entrepreneurs in the creation of a new business and more employment. Uh, uh, the vice minister said just before some numbers are, are about these migrants uh, or about, about these migrations. And we believe here, Cynthia, that uh, really the Venezuela migration in Colombia is an opportunity for the country. Um, could we go a little bit more into depth about that? It's obvious that Colombia took this move because, as you say, migrants are young, uh, they're eager to work, they're looking for uh, an opportunity to contribute. Um, how do you view the, um, the opportunity, the development opportunity, as Vice Minister Mejia was mentioning? How, how do you envision this contributing to Venezuela, excuse me, to Colombia, especially at a time of 
of such profound economic difficulty, which Colombia shares with the entire region, high levels of employment, more poverty because of the pandemic. Um, it, it, could you build out a little bit more that sense of the economic opportunity that migrants provide? Yeah, no, no. First, that, that I want to say that that we we just start this this process for the TPS with something that is very important in this in this sense is, the, is this idea that we have to know the people that we have here in Colombia. We we have to know the Venezuelans uh, that are in our country, and and we start with this the the, the first step just began yesterday and is with a social and economic uh, uh, survey. Uh, we, we, we're going to know the, the capacities, the, we know to go, we, we're going to know the, the education profile of, of these people that are in, in our country, and that's going to uh, give us this um, 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 idea that we can design better our policies for integration and employment uh, policies also for integrating. And, and, and we believe, and, 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 and as, as we know, but uh, we're going to know more in, 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 in a few months, uh, that the, the people uh, or, or, or the, the profile, economic and, and, and labor profile of these migrants uh, are complementary to the Colombian uh, profile and labor market. It, it, obviously, we, we can have some competence in the in the context in the in the labor context, but uh, we believe with this idea that we're going to make them visible. Uh, we're going to give them the opportunity to start to work, to 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 participate in 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 all the the, the call for for labor so, or something like that or for jobs. Uh, uh, we're going to uh, um, improve the capacity of our labor market to uh, integrate them and to grow. Uh, uh, in, in our economic uh, uh, domain. Let me ask you a question that I'll come back to the other panelists to answer as well. Um, Vice Minister Mejia mentioned that um, Colombia needs international support uh, to be able to finance as well as implement um, um, these measures, these historic measures. Um, could you talk a little bit about the levels of international cooperation not just from um, the organizations that are represented here, but from governments that are collaborating with Colombia that have collaborated with Colombia for a long time. Uh, but obviously this represents a new level of, of need and new commitment of resources. How has the international community responded uh, materially uh, beyond uh, praising Colombia for this initiative? Yeah, no, we, we have to be, I'm very thankful with, with, the, with, the, with the international community for the support because uh, in the last years, we received the support of the, uh, the government of, of the United States, the government of Canada, the, 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 the European Union, some countries of the European Union, as uh, Spain, uh, uh, Germany, and, and others. But there is, there is a, a very interesting uh, idea that uh, uh, in Colombia, we, we, we receive an important support of the international community. But uh, this idea, it, 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 we have to pass to another, uh, we, I think, to another uh, dimension of this cooperation, because uh, uh, the, the international community has to uh, put their eyes on what is happening here. We, we are uh, 
um, now maybe facing the, the most important uh, migration crisis in the world. Uh, 5.6 million of Venezuelan people leave this country and, and you know, we think that at the end of this year we're going to be the first, uh, uh, the most important uh, uh, migration crisis in the world. So. Yeah, uh, we, we, we have to work in that, in, in that, that sense, and, and, and in, in the 17th of June, we're going to have this uh, uh, cooperation conference uh, with the donors' countries for, for, for the migration crisis in, in Venezuela, and, and, and we think that, that we, we have to move uh, forward, and, and we have to pass to our second level, because uh, the, the most important part of this uh, 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 cooperation focus on uh, humanitarian issues. And we have to uh, give all, obviously, this idea that the humanitarian is now 2.0 humanitarian issues, humanitarian uh, uh, policies and uh, humanitarian um, aids, but we have to work now and, 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 and in, in, for the integration and social and economic integration. Uh, these people, these 1.8 million of Venezuelans that we have already here in Colombia, they have this vocation to stay. So we have to give them the opportunity to uh, be included in our social and economic uh, system. And uh, that's why we have to start to uh, even closing the gap uh, uh, in the poverty and, and vulnerabilities for these people that uh, arrived to Colombia very, in, in very vulnerable. vulnerable and, and we have to work with this inclusion, and that's the message that we are sending to, to the international community uh, and, and for the uh, 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 donor countries. Thanks very much. That was crystal clear. I'd like to turn now uh, to Elizabeth Eister of, of the UNHCR. Um, the, the granting of, of protective status uh, applies to migrants, to Venezuelans who have arrived um, in Colombia um, before January 31st. Um, and even though the border between Colombia and Venezuela is currently closed, we know that, you know, as a result of this terrible fighting uh, between criminal groups and the Venezuelan army that thousands of people continue to arrive. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the challenges that the ongoing refugee flows um, pose for Colombia in terms of those who are not yet covered by uh, the granting of protected status. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. First, I would just like to uh, express my appreciation as well for this event. I agree with all of the panelists that, and especially what you said, Ambassador Skoll, that the situation in Colombia of Venezuelans is not getting enough attention, the, the Venezuela crisis overall. And this amazing gesture of the Colombian government shouldn't go undetected. Um, it needs uh, a lot of visibility uh, for the reasons highlighted by Lucas Gomez, that it's going to require an enormous investment. Uh, this is a huge gesture of solidarity on the part of the government of Colombia that needs to be met with the same gestures by the international community in terms of support. Uh, so for us, we, we feel events like this are critical. Yesterday was the first day of pre-registration. Um, it was a, a day to give visibility uh, to Colombia and today is the second day and equally important to give the visibility. 
I would just like to, to, to put it into perspective before going directly into the situation as it is today, that this gesture of the temporary protection scheme will have an impact on 1.8 million. That's, that, that's the figure that Lucas Gomez just used now. Uh, Vice Minister Mejia referred to 2 million. That alone, registering 2 million people is a huge logistical exercise. And we, and we recognize that it, it's, it's not an easy uh, feat. We also recognize that the situation in Venezuela is one that uh, movements will continue. We understand the, the government's concern uh, on the Colombian side that uh, it has to be a step-by-step -step approach so that we can manage uh, the flow uh, and, and meet uh, the expectations already of the, the 1.8 million Venezuelans that are here in the territory. And at the same time, we need to be mindful and we are mindful of those that continue to cross. So we see it as priority number one, uh, working together with the government of Colombia to register the, this 1.8 million. UNHCR and partners like NRC are doing everything possible to extend our presence into communities to really make sure that the most vulnerable do not get missed by the ETPB, which is very possible. Those that don't have access, those that don't have mobility, those that can't access the internet, those who have difficulty reading, uh, those that have mobility problems, those that are experiencing violence now and maybe in situations where they can't escape. Those are the individuals that need to be prioritized uh, by, by all of our efforts. So mobile teams, uh, setting up call centers so that people can uh, access the information they need. Reaching out to the communities, passing the message. At the same time, UNHR, along with NRC, we're part of a, of a platform, an interagency platform. We've been here uh, working hard with the government of Colombia for the last two years to extend our presence along the border area, to have reception sites, to have humanitarian assistance available. That is what continues today for these populations to cross. And it, it's really important to understand the conditions that people are crossing in today. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there, there, is, uh, there is violence and insecurity in the country, human rights violations. People are crossing today in desperate situations. Many are walking, uh, and once they arrive in Colombia, they continue walking. So the humanitarian response re remains essential. While we think about the future, we think about the importance of the TPS, we need to engage development actors, we need to ensure that socioeconomic inclusion, a huge investments required. At the same time, Partners like UNHCR, NRC will continue to respond to the humanitarian needs of the population. We will continue to have that strong presence on the border. We will continue to have that strong presence in what we call the Ruta de Caminantes, the, the transit routes, and in the cities. Let's not forget the cities where we need to have as well a robust humanitarian response. The cities are also the front line of the, of the Venezuela crisis. And not just the, the families, the Venezuelan families. What this crisis has been going on for, for the last two years, that those that are coming across now are attached to family members here or communities here. So really the frontline responders to the crisis are the Colombians in the local communities and the Venezuelans who are going to receive people. So the humanitarian response remains essential. If we take this step-by-step -step approach, 
if we're able to register or, or help the government of Colombia register, because the registration I emphasize is being done by the Colombian government and we're facilitating the access to that registration. I think with this step-by-step -step approach, we can then start to look for solutions for those who are newly arriving, legal stay arrangements, but it has to be a step-by-step -step approach. We fully respect that. Um, and we also believe that in this population, there will be those who will still need international protection. It's important to keep in mind that the TPS, as it was conceived by the government of Colombia, is meant to be complementary to international protection. And there will still be those refugees in need of international protection. That the TPS takes pressure off the asylum system because we, we do expect many Venezuelans would apply for the TPS and give space to recognize those who really have uh, international protection needs. Um, uh, and then to work with the government to improve conditions for asylum seekers. Uh, and especially to ensure that there's a, a equality uh, between the two systems. We have the TPS, the Temporary Protection Scheme, and we as well have, have the asylum system. Uh, and to guarantee access to rights for asylum seekers becomes equally important so that we're, we're, we're on the, we have an equal, equal system for both. And here I'm talking about access to employment. But our, what we anticipate is in this population of Venezuelans, those who are already here, those that continue to arrive, many will want access to the TPS. And that access is something we need to continue to negotiate, to take pressure off the asylum system. And exactly as, as Lucas Gomez said, to create opportunities that do not put pressure on the Colombian people. Because poverty is what pulls the country down. And the TPS is an opportunity to pull the country back up again. Thank Thanks. you. That was, that was very clear. The Venezuelans who are fleeing um, into Colombia um, are leaving uh, behind a government that violated their most basic uh, human needs, their most basic human rights, um, and therefore arrive, one suspects, with a healthy distrust of government. So how do you build that trust uh, so that people are willing to present themselves to the Colombian government when you know they may be hesitant uh, to confront any kind of authority, it, it's it's a very important question. Um, and building trust takes time. It's not something that we can build overnight. Uh, one of UNHCR's modus operandi's, uh, and I, it's one that we share with many of our partners in this this this, uh, this interagency platform, including NRC. Um, and, and other partners is to build that trust with the communities, to engage directly with the community, to have presence in the community. That means working with Venezuelan organizations, uh, building confidence with the Venezuelan organizations, engaging them in the dialogue with the communities. Uh, that means working with um, outreach volunteers. We're, we're stepping up an expansion of outreach volunteers to capacitate them to understand uh, what their rights are uh, and to express those, explain those to the communities, um, as well to, to simply be resolving problems. If, if, we're, if we're just communicating and, and not taking action, you don't build confidence with the community. 
if you're in the community and, and engaging the community and also resolving problems, helping individuals overcome legal challenges to be able to access the ETBB, overcome whatever documentation issues they need to resolve, or whether it's to access the asylum system and to be able to proceed with, with a claim. If it's resolving uh, issues related to access to education and being able to find a place in the school, uh, being able to access the healthcare system, actions are what will build the confidence with the community. And I believe there's a, a tremendous network in place with the Colombian government with the, uh, as well with the delegates of the Defensor del Pueblo, with Personarias, uh, with partner with, with civil society, which is very active. As I mentioned, the Venezuelan NGOs, there's an infrastructure there to respond to effectively to, to it, the needs of individuals. It needs to be stepped up. It needs to be expanded. It, it's not as strong as it could be. It, and we're in the process of expanding it. And we're, we're also, um, putting all efforts in to mobilize the funding necessary. Great. Um, I think that's a perfect bridge to bring in Dominica into the conversation. Um, the Norwegian Refugee Council is one of the um, oldest international um, organizations with a presence on the ground in Colombia. Um, tell us what you're seeing, what the principal focus of your efforts have been, how you're collaborating with the government, um, how you're working in communities. Give us a sense of, of, uh, of what it feels like um, from the ground up. Thank you. Uh, good morning to, to everyone. It's a pleasure to be part of this, uh, part of this panel. Uh, going straight into your question. Uh, yes, indeed, NRC has existed in Colombia, registered since 2003. Uh, we started our operations here because of the uh, armed conflict in Colombia, but in the last years, uh, because of the increasing importance of the crisis and the people fleeing from Venezuela, uh, we have increased our programming um, for the benefit of this uh, population. Um, one of our strategic priorities is to be in hard to reach areas in Colombia, so not only in the cities, um, uh, we are along this Caminantes route that was mentioned to um, uh, provide humanitarian assistance to people on the move that are walking through the territory of Colombia from the border with Venezuela. Many of them decide to stay wherever they get a chance in Colombia, but many of them continue and cross uh, into Ecuador and other countries of South America. Um, so that in itself is... is um, extraordinary in, in, the, in the world scale, that people are actually walking on, 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 on the roads uh, for many days and weeks, searching for a chance. And what we are hearing on the, on the ground is that many of them don't have a plan. They come to Colombia and they, they're just searching. They're ready to go anywhere where they can find a better life. And actually many of them are going back and forth on this route. So we, we met Venezuelans that, that have been in Colombia, gone to Ecuador, gone to Peru, gone to Chile, and actually uh, many have uh, decided to come back even after the announcement of the temporary protection status in Colombia, people like heard, wow, this may be a solution for us. So people that have very little, that are very vulnerable, you know, you, you give them a, a spark, a, a, a chance, and then they decide uh, to come back and, and, and get another chance 
um, in, in Colombia. So, so I also want to take this opportunity to congratulate the government for this gesture of solidarity that we so much need in the world in, in which we live today. Um, now, in terms of uh, other experiences, there is the, the Ruta de Caminantes that, that, that is attended by many people, but there are also many Venezuelans um, in, in the informal economy that are searching whatever chance and um, uh, are involved in uh, illicit activities as well, right? So one of the fundamental issues that this temporary protection sta status is going to solve for so many of them is actually the passage from the informal economy to the formal economy and be legal in the country and also reduce the necessity for humanitarian assistance by giving people a legal status, they can go their own way and search for opportunities in Colombia to contribute to the economy and, and contribute to the betterment of their life. And I think this is the crucial uh, difference that we are making for this to this uh, temporary status, that, that people are getting out of illegality to legality and are given a chance and organizations such as ours, we provide information, counseling, and legal assistance that is the entry point to the legality, and then people can go their own way. Of course, what, what Lucas mentioned is key. Uh, uh, support, multi-year development support for integration is now key. So on top of the humanitarian assistance that we are providing and we are going to uh, continue providing, now, you have a chance in the next years for these extra 2 million people um, that can integrate many of them with their capacities. Um, uh, a recent study I saw 83% of Venezuelans in uh, Colombia uh, have reached secondary education. So they have education, right? They can, they can contribute, but many are also very vulnerable, right? And so they, these are the ones that will need um, support um, of the international community and of the government of Colombia to be able to, to progress and reach a solution. But this is the key, the key issue, even though um, uh, integration and longer term um, uh, funding costs sometimes more per person, but it gives a durable solution. While the humanitarian support that we provide, it, you know, it lasts a day, it lasts a month, and then people are, are, are back to square one, right? So I, I would like to take this opportunity to, to advocate to, to, the, um, uh, to the donors and the conference that is coming. We have expectations from this conference that is coming in June to provide uh, more longer term support. I am just looking right now in this um, uh, funding system of the regional response plan that is only 2% funded. The Venezuela situation is only 2% funded. It's, it's, uh, it's probably one of the most underfunded and one of the largest humanitarian crises in the world. So, uh, so we need to show more solidarity with the Venezuelan people and, and with the countries that are hosting this population. Thanks very much, Dominika. This um, next question could easily be asked uh, to all of the panelists, but I'll direct it first to you. Um, even before um, these, terrible protests that we've seen in Colombia over um, the last days uh, with uh, just unacceptable levels of violence, destruction of property, um, loss of life. Um, a recent Gallup poll showed that 67% um, of Colombians 
um, were not in favor in, um, you know, had an unfavorable view of Venezuelan migrants. And someone has posed a question in the chat about, you know, how do you do economic integration when the level of employment in Colombia, uh, the figure that's in, in the chat is, is 12%. Um, talk a little bit about the ways that discrimination, xenophobia that have been referred to in other presentations can be dealt with um, at a time when so many Colombians themselves are suffering? Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, but I, I think that the temporary protection status is actually part of the solution. Um, uh, first of all, yes, so there are increased levels of xenophobia in, in Colombia. In regards to the current protests, we are, we are monitoring the situation and we have not seen that this is directed to Venezuelans, right? This is not, uh, uh, this is not the case and that's very important to, to acknowledge. And part of the solution is providing services to all. I think Lucas also mentioned it in the beginning. It is not only about Venezuelans, it is about host communities as well. So an uh, uh, inclusive uh, provision of services to, to both populations is a way to integrate, right? So uh, that is part of a problem we are facing because many, a lot of funding that we are implementing is, is um, earmarked to Venezuelans. And then we say, well, <laughs> if they are in the Colombian communities, we actually need to assist the Colombians as well because that will be a way to integrate. So we, um, we have some funding in, in this in, that goes for both populations, but we are advocating with our donors to, to, to have a more um, integrated uh, approach to that. Um, and then uh, just by giving the chance of people to get legal, to get a, a, a status, I, I think improves um, um, the, uh, the view that Colombians have of the Venezuelans, right? Because you step out of illegality because now there are many preconceptions that, you know, that maybe they are, they, 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 they cause violence and, and, um, and are criminals, you know, we have, we have seen and read a lot of that, but by giving people a chance to, to have uh, uh, legal employment uh, and step into the formal sector, I think that will already alleviate this um, this prejudices no, against the Venezuelan uh, population, and um, uh, many Venezuelans are ent entrepreneurial, right? So they they can not only be employed by Colombians, but they can start their own businesses, right? Uh, so these are types of programs that we need to promote entrepreneurship, so that that uh, they can contribute to the economy. And, and another point is by putting people in legality, they are contributing to, uh, by their taxes, right? They will be paying taxes to the, to the Colombian state. So um, in that way, being like more equal to Colombian citizens gives them a chance and also alleviates, I, I think, the rating of Venezuelans in, in, in the spirit of the, um, of the Colombian society. Great. Um, there's a lot of questions in the chat. We'll turn to those in a moment. Uh, but first, a, a question really for all of you, but we'll, we'll start with Lucas Gomez. Um, when you talk about Venezuelans being entrepreneurial and providing them with opportunities, that obviously raises the question of um, how 
the Colombian government, how international civil society is promoting the participation of the private sector, not only Colombian companies, uh, but also, you know, US and European and, and other companies that um, either have investments in Colombia or might be inspired to invest in Colombia to collaborate in this way. So the general question for all three of you, starting with Lucas, um, has to do with the, um, the role of the private sector. Thank you, Cynthia. Just, just let me just pronounce a little bit about the, the last question because the, the, the integration with the host communities and with the Colombian people, I think that is one of the main challenges that we have with this TPS. And, and, and Dominica say something that is, is, is very crucial. The TPS is the first step of this uh, integration and, and, and it's, it's one message of integration and not uh, a stigmatization that, that, that we, we can feel here. And, and just to have an idea, uh, Colombia was always an immigration country. Now we have this new reality that we have now 2 million foreign people here in our country. And, and we have to do a lot of pedag pedagogic, pedagogical, I don't know how to say that, sorry. Pedagogical. Thank you very much, sorry, sorry. But uh, we have to, to make this pedagogic uh, campaigns with the Colombian people. We, we are working with Venezuelans, this, this is, is one of, of my part of my job, you know, work with the, these Venezuelans, with the with the, the, the campaign for Venezuelans for their integration. But we have also to work with Colombian and host communities for the integration of these new people that we have here. And and, and we are we are really working with this idea that uh, uh, we have to be more empathic with these foreign people, with the Venezuelan, with our brother and sisters, and, and in, the, in the speech of our president. And I, 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 I love when, when we start always talking about the TPS with his personal history of his uncle who's going to Venezuela uh, in the 50s and the 60s and stay there and, and make his life there. So the, we, now we have to work with, with these people that want to stay in our country. And, and they want to stay here because Colombia is an opportunity country for Venezuelans. And the, the, the opportunity, the other side of the border are very bad. And in Colombia, they have this idea that they can start to dream in a better world for them and for their families. So that's very important. And, and I connect that with the private sector because with the private sector, we, we are working in, in this idea that this is not only an, a governmental issue is not only a policy issue this is a, a state issue that needs the the, the 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 engagement not only of the all the society not only of the government and the local government but also the private sector the private sector has an opportunity with this population and we are working with them to create some kind of, of forum of, uh, and spaces to work in the uh, one, for, for example, one, uh, one thing that is very important, focalization of the labor market in these uh, places that uh, 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 stay there for years or for months, and it's too hard to find this profile, academic profile or uh, um, um, labor profile. So we are working with them, and, and we think that 
uh, uh, we, in, in the in the IBD conference uh, uh, in in the, two, two months ago, we have a side event with the private sector and this notion that we need more engagement, national engagement. The Colombian private sector is there. The Venezuelan private sector is also working with us in the idea that we have to move in this inclusion, labor inclusion of the migrants. And the, uh, as, as you say, Cynthia, also the international companies, the, the multinational companies have to put their eyes in this opportunity with these uh, people are, who are here in Colombia, but uh, which are also in uh, Peru, Ecuador, 5.6 million of Venezuelans are uh, out of their country. So uh, this is an opportunity and, and, and with, with people that are very well educated, more educated than Colombian people, for example, and, and that's a, a very good uh, uh, opportunity for, for, for the private sector to, to, to improve. And, 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 as, and as, as we say always, uh, Colombia uh, decides to welcome Venezuelan people. It's a, it's a state decision to welcome them, not close our borders and receive them. We are working the integration of the uh, migrants and Venezuelan migrants in our country because we believe that Colombia is going to grow with this migration. So uh, this is an invitation also always that we made for the private sector to see this uh, uh, migra migration as an opportunity also for them. Uh, Elizabeth or, or Dominica, do you want to comment also on, uh, yeah. on your collaboration? Please go ahead. Yeah, no, this is... Uh... <laughs> The, the advantage in engaging the private sector is you bring innovation. And for, for an initiative of this magnitude, innovation is what we need. Um, and and to, to introduce new funding opportunities. Um, I'm not an expert, I'm a more of a protection person, but my colleagues are talking a lot about this concept of impact bonds, uh, which you know are businesses investing uh, in the Venezuelan and the Colombian population, because it, when we're talking about the private sector, it's equally important not to just focus on Venezuelans, but also, as we keep saying throughout this this uh, the this event today, that the host communities as well. Um, you have to find champions in the private sector, just like Lucas Gomez said. So it's essential to start now developing these forums, bringing business leaders together and having um, some high profile business leaders to be very vocal on the issues, take the lead and, and bring others in. So a business forum, um, it's important to focus at the international, national, but also at the municipal level to not forget the, the really important role of, of mayors and, and cities uh, and the income generating activities at, uh, by the private sector at the city level, big cities like Barranquilla, which host large Venezuelan populations. That's where you need to focus. Also Bogota, uh, a big city, a big host, host community. Um, and I believe the private sector can play a key role in addressing xenophobia um, because uh, we're very influenced by the private sector, as we know. Um, their messages, their, their slogans, their, their, their outreach into communities can really um, change the, turn the dial, as you say, change the, the negative talk into positive talk. Um, it, it just, on a very practical level, our experience, Colombia has been ex, uh, experimenting with 
uh, regularization uh, for the last two years. So the ETBB is the biggest and most significant, but we have some experience up until now, uh, which uh, the PEP is, is a document that uh, Venezuelans could apply to and receive in order to access employment, but they weren't getting employment. They weren't necessarily able to start their businesses because of a lack of understanding uh, by the, the population on, on what rights come with those instruments. So what becomes very important is to reach out to private businesses so they understand how they can employ uh, Venezuelans. So they understand the mechanisms and, and they don't turn Venezuelans away uh, automatically uh, with this lack of knowledge on, on how access to employment uh, and access to business works. So just not to forget that important socialization uh, of the TBS with the private sector and, and with, um, with future employers. Great. Uh, Dominica, did you want to add to that? Or if not, we'll go directly to the chat. Uh, we can go to the chat. I think there has been enough there been a, a lot of questions. And the million dollar question, I think quite literally, uh, is from uh, Christina Camacho. What, what needs to happen for Colombia to receive levels of funding and assistance that are on a par with what the international community has contributed to address the Syrian refugee crisis. That's always the comparison that's been made. Uh, a number of you have mentioned this upcoming um, donor conference that takes place in June. There have been multiple donor conferences, uh, including ones in Europe. How do you get, how do you light a fire under, under the international community? I don't know who wants to take that, Lucas. <laughs> uh, no, maybe just very quick because it's, 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 as you say, the one million question, and 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 for us, it's with the, the vice minister Adriana Mejia, we are working in 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 in, in, in to have more more and more uh, support of the international community. But maybe the the, the message that 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 we build here, uh, uh, build here, and 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 that I have and I believe. Is that maybe is the moment? Is is the is the is the moment that the international community send a message uh, for the rest of the world and saying that that Colombia's made is the way is the good way. You know, it's very important that because uh, we, we I, I think that uh, uh, some people say that the 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 decision of the TPS was a very courageous and valiant decision. You know, it's. It was uh, uh, something that uh, the people doesn't expect that a middle-income country as Colombia takes a, a, a decision like that, you know. And 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 and, and, and I think that uh, if this main decision it doesn't work, the rest of the world are going to say, you know, you see, we can't do that, you know. So uh, we expect that the international community. We, we receive a lot of, of uh, 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 congratulations for uh, almost every country in the world, every institution uh, working uh, 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 about migration in the world saying that it's the best decision in the last decade. Uh, it's a, a tremendous uh, solidarity gesture uh, for, for, from a, a middle-income country. So we expect, we really expect, that the donors countries, that the international community uh, start to say, you know, the good way is the Colombian way. And, and, and in that sense, 
two, two, two examples that, that for me are very, very crucial in this, in this discussion. First, the TPS from uh, Biden administration for Venezuelans, it was after the Colombian decision. So uh, we, we, we feel that we are uh, inspiring the rest of the world. And the words of President Lasso, elected President Lasso in Ecuador, who say, you know, the Colombian way is the good way. So for the 17th of June, we expect that this uh, main decision, because we, we, we have to say with the words, you know, the, the most important decision in the history of a migration policy in Colombia is one of the most important decisions in the Latin American and American context in the history. And uh, as Filippo Grandi, Filippo Grandi said, is the uh, humanitarian gest the most important since Cartagena uh, Convention. So we expect that all the countries uh, be present that day and send a message, not only resources for Colombia, you know, it's not only money for Colombia, it's a message for the world that the good way is the regularization, the massive regularization way in the TPS of Colombia is the best example of that. Great. Um, there's a couple of questions uh, about inclusion, and I know that uh, in your various presentations, you've all talked about the importance of inclusion, not only of the Venezuelans, but of their host communities. Um, let's talk a little bit. There was a question about financial inclusion, um, in addition to providing health and, and, uh, and education services, um, a question about integrating the, the challenges of integrating Venezuelan children um, into the Colombian school system. And I'll just throw out a, a figure uh, that I, I found astonishing actually in, in preparing you know, for this session, that 65% of the migrants coming into uh, Colombia are children. You know, that is amazing. Uh, I don't know, that was through uh, Comparte Una Vida. I'm not sure how accurate, but still it's an astonishing um, figure. So, um, and there was also a question about sort of differentiated inclusion, um, how you distinguish between the needs of especially vulnerable groups like LGBTQ uh, Venezuelans or whatever. So I'm gonna throw that out. Let's take Dominica first, Elizabeth, and then we'll come back, I think, uh, for perhaps a final comment. We're almost out of time, so very quickly, if you can. Sure. Um, so on the different types of inclusion, starting with the financial one, uh, what comes to, to my mind is, is uh, to ensure fi financial inclusion, one of, one of the best ways in the world, I think, to include low-income populations is uh, through microcredit. And I know that there are good examples of that in Brazil. Uh, Brazil has has recognized uh, Venezuelans and, and uh, as refugees, and they also it, it's another successful example in Latin America um, of wanting to regularize and integrate the populations. And um, I uh, I heard about the microcredit schemes for Venezuelans so that they can start their own businesses. That that is one way of of um, financial inclusion. Uh, in terms of uh, children, it is it is worrying, right? What you what what you say you cited one statistic uh, from an NRC survey by at border areas, 
we also concluded that 65% of children were out of school and also many dropped out because of the pandemic. You know that, that we came into a virtual world and, and um, access to smartphones, tablets, uh, to be able to learn connectivity is an issue. Um, so the inclusion of, of children in the educational system is very important. And the, we as NRC work in the education sector. We assist the, um, the Ministry of Education and the Secretaries of Education in the provision of education services in terms of training of, of, of uh, teachers, and also about diversity, about the importance of inclusion of Venezuelan children, that they do not feel rejected in, in, in schools. Um, uh, also in terms of provision of, of these electronic materials so that they can do um, virtual education. We have provided um, money transfers to, to uh, ensure connectivity um, of um, both Venezuelan and Colombian um, children. So, so I think that the importance of education, as this is going to be the future generation, is extremely uh, important. Um, catering for the special needs, not only of children, but adults is also an issue, right? So uh, people with disabilities, um, uh, LGBTI populations, right? They, they also need their special needs to be, to be catered for. Um, uh, so we have, um, uh, we applied this differentiated approach in our, in, in our programming across Colombia for both Colombian and Venezuelan population, but definitely uh, it needs to be scaled up. Great. Elizabeth, you want to comment on that as well? Yeah, sure. Um, two, two, two important points to highlight. One is the evidence base. Um, it's not enough to say that many women are suffering um, in the current situation because they're in an irregular situation. You need the evidence base. What are the numbers? Where are they located? What are the specific risks that they're facing um, in order to then design the response to address those needs? Um, so the evidence base is something we're really working hard on, including with partners like NRC. Uh, to, to understand the size, the numbers of people that are vulnerable with, or with specific needs, because we'd like to think that we can help them overcome their vulnerabilities, which are caused by these specific needs, to understand the specific needs of women, uh, separated children, unaccompanied minor, LGBTI, uh, people with disabilities, the elderly, <laughs> and, and to know where they are and what their needs are. The second is, is to, in order to get that evidence base, we have to have that community-based approach that I mentioned to you before. We really have to have presence in the communities. We have to work with communities. We have to work with youth groups. We have to work with women's groups. We have to work with LGBTI groups. And those grassroots initiatives are, are very important. They need our support. They've started on their own. Um, I was in, in Medellin when I first took up my position in, in Colombia, where I visited uh, a Casa uh, de Loma for, for, for youth. I also visited an LGBTI project. Um, and those projects have, have great aspirations and simply need to be supported and expanded. And then that good practice needs to be repeated in Barranquilla, uh, taken to Bogota, so that you create this cross-fertilization. But to really go into the communities and find those initiatives, find those leaders, those organizations, 
taking the brave step forward to really support and identify their communities and, and then to reinforce their efforts. Then link them to those bigger programs that Dominique has been, been talking about, uh, the, 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 the microcredits, uh, the, the, um, the training, vocational training initiatives, the, the big projects act, um, enabling people to access a higher um, you know, tertiary education. Um, so that th these projects can also have larger aims that are linked to the overall objectives of, of, the, of both the humanitarian and development response to support the ETPB, uh, the TPS. Great, Thank, thanks very much. We're pretty much out of time, but I'd like to go back to each panelist, um, starting with Lucas, to give us your two or three last sentences, whatever message you would like to uh, convey. And uh, before turning that over, I just want to thank all of you for the tremendous work that you're doing on the ground um, to make a difference, um, to respond to um, an overwhelmingly difficult situation, um, and one which countries like my own have uh, handled in a very different way. So um, my thanks and, and admiration for everything you're doing. Um, Lucas, please. No, Cynthia, thanks, thanks to you. Thanks for the invitation. And, and, and just, just two words about, about the, maybe the future of, of, of this uh, main challenge that we have for, for regularization of about 1.8 million of Venezuelans. Yeah, the first one is that the challenge, as, as we say uh, before, is not only to assist them with an humanitarian, humanitarian approach, is to include them in our social and economic uh, society. This is one of the, 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 the main challenges that the President Duque uh, asked uh, for, for this, uh, we, we say that with, with this, with this, for, for this dream team uh, to work in the inclusion and integration of, of migrants and of our brother and Venezuelan brother and sister. So this is, is one of the, of the messages. And, and the second message that, that I think that is very powerful is that uh, we, we, we are convinced that we, we believe that this is the, the good way. You know, as I say before, it's the message for, for the international community, but I think that it's also the measure uh, for, for, for it's also a domestic message. It's, it's also a message for the Colombians and, and for, the, for the next government. This is not a governmental uh, policy. This is a state policy. And this is, is a state policy is going to be valid for 10 years. So uh, in Colombia, I believe that we, we have just one option, the integration option. With, with the migration, you can just say it's too bad, everything is bad, and, and, and the migration is bad. Uh, in Colombia, we decide to say that migration is an opportunity, and the only way to uh, con uh, make, make the conversion of this uh, crisis in an opportunity is the integration and the inclusion in our social and economic uh, context. Great. Uh, Elizabeth? Very briefly. Very briefly. I'll just uh, end on the, the slogan for the Migración Colombia, the, the, the entity leading this first phase of the ETPB with the pre-registration registration. It's called Visibles, um, because what we haven't talked enough about today is that uh, at the end of this registration process, every Venezuelan who's registered will get an identity document. And with that identity document, their life is going to dramatically change. They are going to become visible. 
They're going to be able to open up bank accounts or going to be able to get their kids in school. This is protection and this is fundamental. And this is why this, this has to be a success and the support Columbia needs to implement it has to be forthcoming. Thank you. Great, Dominica, final word. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I just uh, want to uh, starting from now this solidarity gesture from Colombia. The, the government of Colombia has done, you know, has done in part its part in in showing solidarity in today's world. I think each and every one of us in our everyday life also has a responsibility to show solidarity. Uh, not only you know in Colombia to Venezuelans, but uh, in general, uh, people in need of international protection, refugees and migrants that have found themselves in a vulnerable situation, and life brings uh, you know new new histories every day, and we don't know in which situation we are going to be in tomorrow. So I, I think that uh, as as a society of the world, and each and every one of us in their respective function has a responsibility. Uh, to to contribute, right? Thank you. Thank you. Well, on that note, we'll conclude um, with a note of thanks to Vice Minister Mejia for joining us. Wonderful to see you again, Ambassador Skoll. Thank you for leading the way uh, behind the scenes. Many thanks to Lina Delgado for her tireless work um, on this event. Um, thank you again to Lucas, Elizabeth, and Dominica uh, for your tremendous work. Thanks to the audience for joining us.